This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Welcome everyone to our Christchurch Bible study. Christchurch Jerusalem, the oldest Protestant church in the Middle East, and our little community that is now going out to, uh, to many countries around the world thanks to this uh, pandemic and this platform, platform of Zoom. And uh, for that, we give honour and glory to the Lord and the Messiah. Uh, and we'll begin our evening study. We're going to be studying Deuteronomy chapter 19. Uh, as Moses continues to instruct the people of Israel as they prepare to cross the Jordan and set up um, a just and humane society that would be a light to the Gentiles and is in um, good fashion and good tradition, uh, we will um, bless the Lord uh, by praying um, in his presence. So, Brother Neville, would you be able to lead us in prayer? Yeah, certainly. Let's pray. Father, we bless you for your gifts to us this day, Lord, your mercies that are new every morning. And thank you for this opportunity to gather around your word. Father, we pray you'd honor us by your presence and guide us by your spirit that we may see wonderful things out of your word. Be, be with Aaron as he teaches, Lord, may he know your guidance and your hand upon him. And Father, thank you for this provision where we can come together from across the world, Lord, and your word is certainly not bound. Amen. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So going over the uh, notes from last week, which was our discussion on prophets finishing off the, uh, the appointment where God will, will choose and appoint prophet priests and kings. Moses has been the teacher, guider, and lawgiver of Israel since the exodus from Egypt. The Israelites have known no other leader. Moses, however, will not be joining Israel as they cross the Jordan, and the people of Israel may have expressed anxiety as to their future rulers. God has indicated that he will choose future kings over Israel, and he has already chosen priests. Now Moses says that the Lord will also choose prophets for the people. God will raise up a prophet like Moses. Now, this verse has several levels of meaning. There will be a prophet for each generation, and like Moses, they will speak God's word and be a guide and a balance for the people and the king. Each king had his own prophet. The relationship between prophet and king, both appointed by God, was often a tense one. Solomon remains the only monarch not to have a functioning prophet during his reign. While the concept of democracy is not found in Scripture, God does not put power in the hands of the king alone. Three officers are chosen by the Lord, and they work in tandem to rebuke, guide, lead, and defend the people of God. They are the prophet, priest, and king. Eventually, those roles are combined in the Messianic Redeemer, again hinted at by Moses. A prophet like me can also be read as a single entity or a person. Thus, another Moses was to be expected as a preeminent shepherd of the people. He would be a Redeemer. He would challenge the kings of the earth. 
He would be a lawgiver, a miracle worker, and a mediator for Israel. And later, the Gentile nations too. So hope is given to Israel. Prophets will always be with them, so the people can always hear the words of heaven. And a messianic hope is brought to the people in the form of the ultimate redeemer, known as the Messiah. Each generation would hold to the hope that their generation would herald the one like Moses. Messiah means anointed, chosen by God, as are prophets, priests, and kings. But now, with all those offices rolled into one. With all this expectation and the existence of functioning prophets among the people, the danger arose that false prophets would also arise. God had warned that they were to obey the voice of the prophet, for she or he, for he or she, and yes, women were and are prophets, spoke the words of heaven. Failure to obey a prophet would ensure judgment from God. Hence, it was important to learn to hear the words of a true prophet. Schools of prophets were established among the people. Often they were placed in the darkest parts of Israelite society. And here we can think of the prophets of Bethany, Jericho, and across the Jordan that encounter Elijah and Elisha. The tension now was how to recognize a false prophet. Proclamations made in the name of the Lord needed to be verified by the community. Test the spirits, says John in his first epistle. We should not fear a prophet, nor fear the role of putting prophecy to the test. However, in this action, we too often fail. The early church drafted a document known as the Didache, the teachings of the apostles. Chapter 12 of the Didache describes the procedure for the community in its approach to prophets. Those who come under the banner of a prophet are to be welcomed and provided for. They are to be listened to and their actions to be noted, just as Moses had instructed here. Should they request money, engage in deeds not in line with Scripture, or speak words not honoring the Lord, they are deemed false. Also, should they remain longer than three days with the community, they are also deemed to be false. Lastly, Paul reflects the teachings of Moses as he instructs the Corinthians in chapter 14 to allow two to three prophets to speak, and then the community judges their words. So it behooves the people of God to hearken to the words of Moses, to the words of Paul and the church fathers in this matter. God has raised up for us kings, priests, and prophets to bless, protect, and teach his people. But as they fulfill their appointed role, we should also keep a healthy eye on them. That's a summary from our last week's discussion. All right. And so now let's look at the next chapter, chapter 19, as we establish ourselves uh, cities of refuge. So I'll be reading from the uh, ESV uh, today. When the Lord your God 
cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses. You shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide them into three parts, the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can run to them. And this is the provision for the manslayer who, by fleeing there, may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having uh, hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of blood in hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbour in the past. And therefore I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, as he has sworn to your fathers, and gives you all the land that he possessed, that he promised to give your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways, then you shall add three other cities to those three. Lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbour and lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and he flees to one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eye shall not pity him but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. You shall not move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land of, uh, of the, that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offence that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness tries to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties of the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and the accursed and accused his brother falsely, then you shall uh, do to him as he meant to do to his brother. You shall purge this evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. All right. So that's, uh, that's our next 
level of study and see how that, um, what we can learn from these, this teaching. Uh, right, what stands out for you guys? Okay, on an initial shut reading, having read it, um, uh, you may have read it before, but just now, is there anything that jumped out where you thought, wow, boy, I hadn't quite noticed that before, or I've always noticed that before? Just one thought, um, combined with the idea, well, the, the observation that the cities of refuge are only mentioned later on in the wilderness wanderings, you know, right at the end of book of the, the book of Numbers, and obviously in, in, in this part in Deuteronomy, which is at the end of their time in the wilderness. And that coupled with the, um, the story that he tells about the, the two guys that go into the wood to chop wood and, you know, a mishap happens. I get the feeling that this is a case that Moses had to deal with. He had to, they brought before him this, this situation and he had to adjudicate on it. And so it, it lasts here as the example that he uses for uh, the cities of refuge. Yeah, there's a few examples of that in the Torah, which seem to imply very heavily that these things actually happened. Moses had to try and figure it out, and they became literal examples, um, uh, like a precedence, uh, so to speak, precedental law, which Roddy knows all about, don't you, Roddy? <laughs> I do know some of them quite well, yeah. yeah. Boundary markers. Yeah, I, I, never, I never noticed this before. Who is it that doesn't put the boundary markers? Doesn't put them? What do you mean? Yeah. Well, who put the boundary markers? The men of old, the Zakanim, the the uh, the old ones, the elders. Did they put them there before they inherited the land, or are they to use the boundaries that were set before they took the land? It's a good question. Um, when I read this, because I also thought, "Oh wow, look at that! You you don't move you don't move your neighbor's boundary marker." Okay, there's a there is a, uh, a an element of private property that you're allowed to own in the Bible, um, but there is definitely a a principle, some sort of principle set up about what the elders have set up. So don't move. God's going to cut off the nations. He's going to have them overtake the nations. So is that when the boundaries begin? Or Probably. are they to go by the boundaries that are set before they take the land? Probably the ones know. that are being set up by these guys. Okay. Yeah, I would imagine under Joshua there was a lot of this going on when the land was allocated. And yeah. then they, you know, created an agreement of how the land were divided and put these pretty large stones at the junctions and at the lines of where they should be and, you know, were betide anybody who sort of tried to move it by six inches during the night. <laughs> yeah. 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 Something that's very interesting, but, but it's, it's in conjunction with numbers, is that I always was like, well, how long, how long, can, how long do they have to actually live in these cities? <laughs> yeah. How long are they tied down to the cities? And it's interesting because the cities are, there's north, middle, and south. And so they're easy access. And even on the other side of the Jordan River, you've got, I guess, three three other parallels that are north. Yeah, we've already south. set up three on this yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's going to be, 
And then very interesting um, in numbers, it says he shall live in these cities until the death of the high priest who was anointed with holy oil. So they are actually locked into these cities until the death of the high priest. So that's something. Oh, is this that, in Numbers 35? Numbers 25. Yeah, uh, Numbers 20. Uh, numbers, I'm sorry, 35, 25. Yeah, that, that's where um, the a, a, a more fuller discussion on uh, cities of refuge. We might read it in a minute uh, and see, yeah, because it, it, Moses doesn't bother to mention these bits, okay, these details. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, let's have a look at the uh, – uh, oh, is there anything else that jumped out? Anything at all? Uh, yes, me, Aaron. Yeah. One of the one of the profound one is the last verse. Um, <laughs> the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth. Yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a scripture that people used to try to make the Torah look bad. Yes. And what is the context of it? Yeah, here it's talking about um, it's talking about that you, if somebody is doing something, you shall give a judgment that's equal to what the person is um, is guilty about or is yeah. guilty for. Um, so it, that's yeah, what it's, it's kind it's, of referring it's in relation to a false accusation. Yeah, it's not yeah. it's not a blanket eye for an eye, tooth for tooth for everything. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth applies to false accusations, not for anything else. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, yes, because you put it in context and you go, oh, that's what it's for. Okay. The, um, yeah. But there's that concept of measure for measure, and you see that all the time. Which is, which is all throughout the Bible, yes. Yes, yes. And then, of course, you end up with this, um, the, the, the next question, you know, what happens if the guy has only got one eye? You know, and, and, and so they, they, even in context, you still can't do eye for eye, uh, which, which, which is one of those beautiful tensions that you have in the Hebrew Bible where it sets up something that just not can't happen because it can and, and does, okay, and, and, and probably did. Um, uh, but there, were, uh, there, was, there were certainly times where people said, well, look, this actually doesn't mean what it says it means. We really have to look at the spirit of the law. And, uh, and look at what the intention was. Um, I, I, when I read this, and I read it a couple of times to try and figure out, okay, what's jumping out at me, what's jumping out at me, um, it was that the, the freedom that the avenger of blood has to go and kill people. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, know, we just, you just don't do that in our modern society, right? But the, the, the complete and, and, and the sort of acceptance that this was going to happen, it's like, okay, the guy with the axe swung his axe and he killed his friend, he didn't really mean it. Well, you'd better run, mate, because uh, we, we really can't do anything because that guy's going to come after you and we ain't stopping him. That, uh, that might happen after these elections in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, hence the flag of the Banana Republic, which is flying very most strongly over there in North Dakota right now. Okay, yeah, there's a real bit of a mess you can manage to pick up in that in that country. Wow. Okay. Um, 
So let's have a look at the, uh, at the, at the text and see what we can learn um, from, from uh, what Moses is, is teaching. Remember, Moses is attempting to set up a society that is going to, to shine a light of justice and righteousness to the nations around it. They are going to, as, as he has said before in Deuteronomy, they are going to be attracted to your Torah. They're going to say, what other nation has rules like this? So let's, let's see what, what see these rules are and see if any of this can actually apply or has spiritual meaning or uh, even literal meaning to our communities as the people of God today. All right. So <clears throat> verse 1. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and are in their houses, then verse 2, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Okay. So uh, from a literal reading there, the Lord is going to cut off the nations. Okay. The Lord is, is uh, giving you the land. The battle belongs to the Lord, yes? yes? Yes. So who does all the fighting? We do. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. Don't you, don't you love going to church and singing that song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord? <laughs> uh, and yet, you, we've still got to realize yes, it's true, the battle does belong to the Lord, and He is giving us things. We do have to walk outside that church and act mm -hmm. like it. You know, we can't just sit under a tree and wait for the title deed to the land to appear. Uh, and and uh, unfortunately, too much of, of our Christian walk in, in history the last couple of thousand years has actually led to passivity, where, where we acknowledge God's greatness. Yes, we acknowledge his kingship. Yes, and the myriad of angels that, that guard and protect us. Yes. But that gives us no right just to sit and wait. In, and, and, uh, and so um, the Lord is giving them uh, the nations, but they still have to fight. And that means there will be casualties, which can create a very interesting theological tension that along the way, some of our brothers and sisters fall. And they're good brothers and sisters. I haven't done anything wrong. You know, there's nothing like they, oh, you've done something bad. You deserve it. So, you know, go and die in battle. No, it happened. Uh, the, the nations had done wrong themselves because God had said their sin is full. It's time for them to go. And it was only these nations to dispossess. Remember, not the ones surrounding them. They were not meant to encroach. Uh, on half of Syria or, you know, most of Lebanon. There, were, there was a certain amount of territory and certain tribes that they were to take. Okay. So once they, uh, um, once we acknowledge that we are not sitting still, we are part of this journey, okay, action is involved uh, and we conquer, um, we then need to set up these three centrally located cities, which we've already set up in on the east bank of the of the Jordan. We've already we've already got a model. Already so done. Aaron. Yep. Do we have any other place in scripture, archaeological evidence, 
as to what the three cities and their location were? I think, I think we get their names. Is that right? Um, in uh, in Joshua, in Joshua yeah, twenty. Yeah, okay. yeah it's uh, it's it's Kedesh in the north, and then yeah. Shechem and Hebron. Yeah, uh, it's in it's in Joshua yeah. twenty verses seven to eight. If someone wants to read that. Okay. Okay, I'll read that. Um, yeah. So they set apart Kedesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriat Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness of the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramot in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel, and for the stranger sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there, so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. Yes. Now, isn't that an interesting caveat right at the end? Yeah, it is. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, every time I read this, you go, oh, that's right, yes. Um, but I always found... Like two of these cities really stuck out for me. Okay, what are those names, guys? You heard them just then. What are they? Hebron and Shechem. That's it. Nablus, Shechem, and Hebron are actually cities of refuge. And wow. of course, what's sitting in Hebron? <laughs> the the Mahmoud. Okay, the, the, uh, yeah, Mamre. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually a city of refuge. What what famous event occurs at Shechem? Jacob's bones are up there. Yes. Now, why? Well, yeah, but but um, Jacob's well. The okay. The sweet water of Jacob's well is uh, is in Shechem. Okay. And uh, and so these cities have famous things happen to them. I'm not hundred percent sure what happened in Kadesh in the Galilee. Okay. It's got a great name. Okay. Kadosh, holy. Okay. That's great. But. I, I, I actually can't think of uh, what happened. Naphtali is um, a northern tribe and gets used, you know, Zebulon, you, uh, the lands of Naphtali, you're going to see a great light, says Isaiah. So there's going to be this idea of, of redemption coming from the north, which actually is the biblical model. And, um, and Roddy knows this because we've used the Temple Mount model so many times in describing this. Leviticus uh, 1 verse 11 says that you are to sacrifice your, your, make your sacrifice to the north of the altar. Not to the east, not to the west, and not to the south. You, you make your sacrifice to the north of the altar. Then you bring a little bit of the blood and you put it on the altar. You don't kill the animal on the altar. That's where you offer the animal, the, the bit that gets burnt up to the Lord. But all the divvying up, all the killing, that occurs to the north. Why? Leviticus 1 verse 11 doesn't say, doesn't matter. Uh, that tradition now will come, come a bit later. So the north becomes the place of redemption. And it's said in the Psalms that uh, uh, your redemption doesn't come from the east, doesn't come from the west, doesn't come from the south. It comes from the north. And so you will, you will always find that heroes always come from the north. Why does Yeshua start his ministry in the north? Got to go there. Why does Paul in Galatians, once he's had his visitation from the Arava, run to the north? 
doesn't go to Jerusalem. He deliberately heads north. Why? Because the north is the place that sees a great light. And the north, for whatever reason, okay, gets, gets uh, this city of refuge. The, the south doesn't. Besheva doesn't. Shimon doesn't. Um, Negev doesn't. Uh, but uh, I bet the closest they've got is probably Hebron. Also, what else happens from the north? Uh, yes. <laughs> what else happens from the north, Roddy? Come on. Have, having said all that, evil yep. will come from the north. Correct. So, I'm sorry. Roddy, yeah, could you the, en the enemy then turns around and challenges God oh, from the north. Evil, the evil will come from the north. So uh -huh. you, you then find in prophecy that the attack comes from the north. Always on the north side. Yep. Light oh, comes from the north. And the enemy comes from the north. Light and darkness, they love to to dwell, oddly enough, together. Isn't that bizarre? I, I always Don't have a yin-yang thing on me because I'm not doing that, okay? I'm just saying that, that <laughs> the enemy often attacks um, where, where God is, of course. I always thought I had the impression, you know, east to west, so leaving Babylon, yeah. coming into Jerusalem, and like Abraham, you know, where they fell is where they got lifted up through Abraham and going back. That's so crazy. So we often, we often think east to west because um, that, that tended to be the way things worked in the world. We had west versus east. We had, you know, the west looking towards the east and we called it the Orient and it was mysterious and things mm. like that. Um, but I got a feeling Africa knows north-south. Is that right, Shimon? Would you? Is the, is the north a place, that, uh, is that hill? Hill country or mountainous? Uh, it can be, but not yes, always. Africa is more about north than south. Yeah. Say that again. You kind of cut out for me there. Did we lose him? Yeah, yeah Aaron. So wait, while he's thinking about that, so Yeshua comes from the north. I mean, he went to the north to the Galilee of Gentiles. Well, there was a yes, there was a second example. There was a second one. I missed it. What was the second example? Uh, Paul, uh, in Galatians, you, you have your, his only biography, a you know, bit, bit about him. He tells us that he, he went to the Arava and he went to a mountain. Doesn't tell you what mountain it was, but you can probably guess. And he, he spent some time with the Lord and studies, like three years, he says. And then after studying, he says, I didn't go to Jerusalem. But he makes this deliberate choice. Instead, he ventures north and he starts there and then comes south because that's exactly the same pattern that his, his Lord did, but it's also the pattern that has, has already now come about through, um, through, through the temple and into, 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 in the Psalms and into prophecy, that something occurs in the north. These battles occur in the north. Redemption comes from the north. The fight begins in the north. And uh, and then move south towards uh, towards Jerusalem. Uh, anyway, so you end up with a, yeah. Can I add a thought about this from Psalm forty eight about the north? Yes, uh, from a Messianic believer who a teacher, yep. and I, it's interested me. So Psalm forty eight starts like this: Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Well, correct Mount something first. We need to correct something. It's What's uh, that? It, it, well, because it's a big point for me. To Helim, Arvin, Vishmoni. So Psalm 48 is a big deal. 
It's uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Well, which mountain is it? It's beautiful. It's perfect for elevation, the joy of the whole earth. And it's on the sides of the north, not the far north, not the upside down north, not the sideway north. The word is Safon, north. So what's on the north side of the city of the great king? Well, what's the city of the great king? Shalem, the city of David. And what is a mountain that sits on the side of the north of the city of the great king? All right. Is that what you're talking about? Exactly. That's Harzion. That's Mount Zion. Yes, correct. Mount, Mount, uh, Mount Moriah is Harzion. Yeah. Uh, I notice is people, until you're standing in front of the model, and we yeah. read it verse by verse and take and then, it in the Hebrew. You yeah. don't understand it because we have changed it over time. Yeah. So when you, when you, when you see where David was writing this psalm, and you look at the model, which is which is sitting in um, in the in the Christchurch uh, Heritage Centre Museum, and you see, and it says, you know, this this great mountain, the great city, is on the sides of the north. And you look down, you say, well, obviously north is this. It's Mount Moriah. Uh, it's uh, the, the, the treasure of the joy of the whole earth and all those things that, that went um, with it. But you have to discuss how do we know what is, because it starts off, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. But yeah. then it says uh, the, the city of the great king. Well, what is the city of the great king? And how do we know? Well, it has to be Ir David, the city of David, because yeah. who is the king of Shalem. Melchizedek. Uh, yeah, Melchizedek, yeah. And he would have had that little tiny city at that yeah. point in time. You yeah, even David. Let's also remember, David's Jerusalem wasn't very big either. So. You can spiritualize Shalem by saying peace and righteousness, but yeah. no matter what, that name Shalem has expanded to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, yes, Jerusalem. Yep. And on the side of the north of that little tiny area sits a mountain. Yep, Mount Moriah. Oh, Mount Zion, the real Mount Zion. Exactly. And if you ask rabbis or anybody else, they'll, they'll agree with it. This term, Har Maria, doesn't come into play until Second uh, Chronicles. But God never says Mount Moriah anyway. No, 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 that's it. right. It's actually a man-made name. Um, exactly. Yeah. All right, I'll be quiet. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's no. <laughs> great, Roddy. Yeah. <laughs> It, hey, it, Brian, it, it, it's true. Mount Moriah is, is Mount Zion. That's 100% true. Okay. So wait, Mount Moriah is Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. I mean, that's that's the Temple Mount location, right? That, or, that's or the no? Temple Mount. Yeah, Jerusalem has expanded um, predominantly west uh, because that's where it rains, um, but also a little bit north and a little bit south. But the actual mountain that David was writing about um, in Psalm 48 is most clearly to the north. And uh, from where he was sitting, um, and, and and includes the part of the land that he purchased from Aravne, the uh, exactly. king, the uh, Jebusite that, king. Of, but then uh, that wouldn't be. I'm sorry. Then that wouldn't be Kadesh. I mean, that would be for that would be central. But at the time, it would be his north. 
Oh, no, no, this is just the psalm describing how powerful the north is in, in, in redemptive theology. The city of Kadesh is still in Naphtali, and this is one of our uh, cities of refuge where you can flee. And what's interesting is um, the, the cities of refuge are a portion for both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, so that not that interesting, is that refuge is apportioned to both Jews and Gentiles, which has both a literal and a spiritual component to it. Okay, um, And what I found very interesting in our reading of Joshua, that eventually the, the, the guy who flees to that city still has to be brought to the, to the community. Um, uh, at, you can't just flee to this city and just hang out there and, and kind of, you know, wait till the high priest dies or the avenger of blood goes away or something. Um, justice still has to be investigated. It still has to be pursued. It still has to be uh, enacted, um, particularly if this is to reflect the character of God. Remember, everything we're doing is setting up a people to reflect the character of God. And we are also the people of God. So this actually has a lot of relevance and bearing to us. And Deuteronomy being the most popular book in the late Second Temple period and heavily influencing the New Testament surely has uh, some bearing bearing um, for us. So we uh, up to verse 3. Okay. Now we have ourselves portioned out these cities. You shall measure the distances and you shall divide into three parts the area of the land that the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. So once again, you, um, uh, you, uh, God is, is, is reminding, Moses and, and, and God are reminding the people that the land is given to them. It's not this sort of... Um, divine right by birth because we actually were just slaves in Egypt. The, the land is a gift. It's inheritance, yes, but it's, it's a, our national memory, our national history needs to remember that often, too often we forget it. We often forget that the land itself is simply um, a gift. You measure the distance and you have to provide ease of access and because uh, you've got to build some good roads for these things. Okay. Um, someone should read Numbers 35, the, the portion there, because uh, there's obviously a bit more detail. Moses is skipping a bit here. Um, uh, but the detail for the cities of refuge, because it will have spiritual implications. Eventually, I hope we get to them. So can someone read Numbers 35, 9 to 28? So, bit of a, a, a mouthful, but um, I think worth it. Who's got it? He's got a good voice. Okay, the Lord spoke further to Moses, speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you shall provide yourself with places to serve your cities of refuge, to which a man's layer who has killed a person unintentionally may flee. The cities shall serve you as a refuge from the avenger so that the manslayer may not die unless he has stood trial before the assembly. The town that you thus assign shall be six cities of refuge in all. Three cities shall be designated beyond the Jordan and the other three shall be designated 
in the land of Canaan. They shall serve as cities of refuge. These six cities shall serve the Israelites and the resident alien among them for refuge, so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. Anyone, however, who strikes another with an iron object so that the death results is a murderer. The murderer must be put to death. If he struck him with a stone, with a stone tool that could cause death, the death resulted. He is a murderer. The murderer must be put to death. 18. Similarly, if the object which he struck him was a wooden tool that could cause death, the death resulted. He is a murderer. The murderer must be put to death. The blood avenger himself shall put the murderer to death. It is he who shall put him to death upon a counter. So too, if he pursues him in hate or heard something at him on purpose and death resulted, or if he struck him with his hand in, 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 in enmity and death resulted, the assailant shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The blood avenger shall put the murderer to death upon encounter. But if he pursued him without malice, aforethought, or hold any object at him unintentionally, or inadvertently dropped upon him any deadly object of stone, the death resulted, though he is not an enemy of his and did not seek his harm. In such cases, the assembly shall decide between the slayer and the avenger. The assembly shall protect the manslayer from the blood, from the blood avenger, and the assembly shall restore him to the city of refuge to which he fled, and there he shall remain until the death of the high priest who anointed with who was anointed with the sacred oil. But if the manslayer ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which he has fled, and the blood avenger comes upon him outside the limits of his city of refuge and the blood avenger kills the manslayer there is no blood guilt on his account for he must remain inside the city of refuge until the death of the high priest after the death of the high priest the manslayer may return to his land holding such shall be your law of procedure throughout the ages in all your settlements all right. Well, thank you very much. And there's a lot of information there. And it's packed with some theology, isn't it, as well? So what did you notice that was slightly different uh, from this reading uh, from Numbers, which is Moses, to the, to the uh, way he describes it in Deuteronomy? There's a lot more detail yeah, here, definitely. More details, the intricacies, the... The rules of engagement of this yeah. um, manslayer and the going also, before the assembly. There's a, there was a fair bit about going before the assembly, which you don't have here. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the incident that Moses describes is different. In Deuteronomy, it's, you know, some guy went into a forest and the axe fell off. Uh, in Numbers, it's, you know, we were building a house and a stone fell on, a, on, on one of my mates. Um, so it's interesting that things happened in the in their life cycle, and they were then included in uh, in the in the same rule. Okay, um, they didn't just rehash an old story; they actually um, included a new one, which is very interesting. 
the strange and the Israelite are both afforded protection. Uh, there has to be a trial in front of the assembly to figure out whether this man is actually innocent or not. The avenger is still allowed to pursue the, the man, innocent or not, which is an interesting concept. Capital punishment is acceptable, okay? Uh, and, um, and yet there is this interesting incident where once a high priest dies, all bets are off. And you go, interesting, once the high priest dies, we wipe the slate clean which is a very interesting concept. Why would that matter? I mean, think about that. I mean, you could just imagine Moses giving the rule. Obviously, Aaron's the high priest. Yeah, look, when my brother dies, all bets are off. And Aaron's like, oh, gee, thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. Um, what's that got to do with the guy's guilt? You have absolutely no idea. But it does set up a very interesting little piece of theology. That when the high priest disappears, you've uh, you wipe the slate clean, um, which is an interesting, interesting thought. Would that right. be parallel to like when Jesus dies, then his blood covers our sins, kind of thing? Well, when does when does Yeshua actually act as high priest? Um, I guess after he dies. Correct. Only after he dies, because while he's on the planet, he's not actually of the priestly tribe. So the book of Hebrews, you know, which is a great little, little, you know, theological discussion on this, talks about Yeshua as the high priest, but only in heaven. Only can he actually function as high priest after he's dead, because while he's on the planet, he can't really actually function as high priest because he's actually from the tribe of Judah. And right, so, so then that's when the guy is okay to go back to his, his own country or his yeah. own place. Once the high priest dies. So it's, a, it's an interesting theological thing that, they, that, they, that you know, Moses, or God, through Moses, puts in the Torah and then just leaves blank. And I'm 100%, I haven't read any Midrashim about it. I, I, um, Rashi doesn't comment about it, which usually means that, that he's got a problem. Okay, whenever Rabbi Rashi doesn't say anything about, about, he quotes on just about every sentence of the Bible, okay? But whenever he misses a sentence, that means he has no clue what to say. And there's actually a book called What's Troubling Rashi, which is all the verses Rashi didn't comment on, okay? Um, which, uh, which is an interesting little, little take. So we, we, everybody wrestles with, why does the why, why, who cares whether the high priest dies or not? I mean, the guy killed your brother and you want revenge and this guy, some other stranger dude who you've never met in Jerusalem keels over from a heart attack and, and uh, you know, now nobody can do nothing. But it sets up a very interesting, interesting um, uh, pattern and thought for us uh, is that Yeshua starts acting as high priest um, in, in heaven. And, uh, and then he seems to set everything, all, uh, everything right. All bets, all bets are off, which is a very interesting thought. Okay, so you've got a lot more detail there in Numbers. And then in Joshua, you see the fulfillment of them actually putting this into place. Um, the Avenger, the Redeemer, okay, the Goel, that's its, its, uh, its name. Um, he actually is a real person or a function. The priests are the judiciary, okay, but the actual enforcer of punishment is not mm -hmm. the priests. 
the actual enforcer of punishment actually belongs to the people. And we've actually seen this before. Remember with the incidents of stoning that uh, the, the people have to do, or the, the witnesses have to do the stoning. Then all the people have to join in. And the avenger of blood has to do the killing. Um, even so, capital punishment is in the text. It's still actually not something that you can easily enforce because you, you don't have an executioner like we find in the Middle Ages, the guy with the little black hood and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, the people, have to do this. That's not easy. So you better be 100% sure that the guy actually deserves to die. And so they, they create these checks and balances. You don't have the public ex executioner. That's you. That makes it a little tough. Ask, is it a reasonable assumption that the avenger of blood was a relative of the person who died? Correct. The avenger of blood is the relative. And so therefore he has a duty and, uh, to, to, to do. And, um, uh, and at this point, it doesn't have a messianic connotation. None of what we've read leaps to, oh, this is what the Messiah will do. He will come and slay the guy who killed his friend. Okay? That's, that's not it. You don't sort of leap to that conclusion. Okay? What we're talking about is the setting up of, a, um, of, a, of, of, of how you just and righteously deal with, with, the, with the killing of a human. That human life was so valuable that you had to make sure that A, it was avenged. You couldn't just let blood be spilt and not be avenged. But at the same time, you had to make sure that if you were going to take somebody else's life, it was actually for the right reason. So you set up places of refuge, which will have another spiritual level. And, uh, and then you created these rules, almost like a little game. You know, can we catch him before, before the avenger of blood comes and gets me? Aaron, is there, an Aaron. Element, is, is there an element in all of this uh, blood guiltiness? You mentioned justice and righteousness, which is bang on. But is there an idea that the guilt of bloodshed rests upon the land? And this is another reason why we have to have these uh, checks and measures that you talked about. That the land itself doesn't like blood on it? Is that what yeah, you mean? It's been, it's the, the old people were chucked off for that very reason, so... It must be a big feature in God's mind. But yeah, there you go. That the blood rests on the land. Yeah, okay. I'm going to have to just uh, double check that blood on the land. And the reason why um, that's resonating with me right now is what do you call the piece of property that we buy with uh, the 30 pieces of silver that gets thrown back at the priests? Uh, the, the, the purchase of blood. Field of blood. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I've got to figure out if there's something there in that one. Okay, Mike? So I'm not quite sure off the top of my head, but I've written, written it down to investigate it. All right, All right Aaron. Yep. One of the things that the Lord is, um, through Moses was establishing was um, in this whole chapter of um, Deuteronomy is that the innocent blood must not be spilled on the ground, especially in any land. And um, most probably it was one of those things that um, was done by the previous inhabitants of the land. They were killing innocent people. Right. And God doesn't really like innocent blood on the ground. You know, 
Uh, we saw the Cain and Abel story. The blood yeah. of Abel was crying out to God from the earth. Then also, why it's very important for the priests, the high priests, to, 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 for them to wait for the demise of the high priest before that man can be set back to go back to his former holding. It's because, I think it's because the, the, the priests are the people that administer the, the cities of refuge. And during the time of a high priest, if he kind of give a pardon to somebody, because if, when somebody comes into this um, refuge, then he gets a kind of a pardon. And um, the adventure might look at the priest as, oh, you have done this. But when it passes away, it cannot hold the adventure. It cannot hold the high priest responsible anymore because we have a new high priest. And for the new high priest, he cannot come and judge the former case. So that's the reason why he's allowed to go and the law will not allow the um, avenger of blood to pursue him. Yeah, could be. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Does it, does it actually say in the text that the priests administer the cities? Does anyone know? I mean, it eventually comes to pass that they do, but um, does it actually say in the text? I don't think so. Um, I think so. Okay. I think so Bernardo so. asked the question, so which were the six cities? They are mentioned uh, by name in Joshua 27 to 8. Okay. All right. Okay, and Aaron, I, I just saw him, he put, posted a, a discussion on East and West in relation to exile and closeness to God. Yes, okay, because Adam and Eve enter and they, they go out from the East and then Abraham comes back West. Yep, okay. Yeah, but North and South is definitely redemption. Okay. Okay. All right, yep, thanks for the notes on the, on the chat there. Okay, I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, if it actually says the priests are the ministers of the cities. However, that ends up becoming the case. Not quite sure how that worked that one out, but um, anyway. So this is the provision for the manslayer. This is verse 4. Well, Aaron, can I just say oh, yes. that the, um, we, we read it last, last session that the, um, the Levites will only, can only end up having possessions and lands around the cities of refuge. So you, you can kind of see it as a natural concentration. As a, as a thing there, okay. Yeah. You get a concentration of the priesthood in these three cities. In these areas, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep, fair enough. Sounds good. Okay, so this, and, and uh, one would assume then that our hero who uh, has fled to these cities um, probably ends up engaging in whatever light industry that they had. I can't imagine him sitting around doing doing nothing, waiting for some, some guy to die in Jerusalem. Um, all right, so this is the provision for the manslayer, verse <laughs> 4, who by fleeing there may save his life. Okay, so if anyone kills his neighbour unintentionally without having hated him in the past, and there's this little 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 uh, caveat that's tacked onto there, um, there is this in intention of the heart that is, a, is attached to murder, okay? That hate, hate with uh, uh, leads to to death inside, inside uh, for, for person to person, as when someone, then you get this example of the man going into the forest, which is different from the example of the guy with the stone dropping it on his mate's head while he's building his house in numbers. 
as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbour to cut wood and his hand swings the axe down to a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbour so that he dies, he can flee to one of these cities and live. So these cities are, are, are well located, they've got good roads and they have ease of access. Okay, so there's no impediment to these guys to run. It appears to be that Moses is reflecting an actual incident that he has had to deal with. Um, and, uh, and just, just like he probably does in numbers. Lest the avenger of blood in hot anger, okay, anger, uh, so it's obviously very, it's a, it's a, a kin, uh, pursues the manslayer, overtakes him um, because the way is long and strikes him fatally, uh, though the man did not deserve to die since he had not hated his neighbour in the past. So the avenger of blood doesn't know that the man is innocent. All he knows is that, uh, part of his family is dead uh, at the hands of this person, and so revenge has to be taken. And then he goes and does it, and, and, and none of this is attributed as guilt, according to the Avenger of Blood. He has a role. So the Avenger uh, has, has a role that has absolutely no um, guilt attached to it. He does not then leave and, and run to offer a sin offering or anything uh, like that. Okay. Um, verse uh, 7, therefore I command you and you shall set apart three cities. Now this next verse is um, interesting. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has sworn to your fathers and gives you all the land that he promised to give you to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all of his commandments, which I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and then you shall add three more cities. Okay. So is there anything there that jumps out at you? So that's, he's talking about another three cities on the west side of the Jordan. So, okay. So um, we've already... Their land can expand. That means they are allowed to expand their land. Correct. That's what, yeah. yeah. Is that when they enter Canaan, they don't yeah. get everything. Yeah. Isn't that, it's a very interesting verse. And if, and it's conditional, if the Lord your God enlarges your territory, right, expansion can happen. Mm. It's like, hang on a second, you know, you're supposed to expand, just stay in your territory, don't, don't. wait a second. No, uh, Moses and God are setting up rules for ex territorial expansion. What an interesting issue, okay? And as Kathy says, it is very much dependent on obedience, now, why are they getting extra little bit of territory? And when, when, when you read uh, the account of Joshua and then you read the next book, Judges, those two books seem to present a different take on the conquest of the, of the land of Israel. Joshua seems to point, see, if you just read Joshua and you didn't have the book of Judges, it would appear as though the invasion is a blitzkrieg. Um, you have the land of Israel, which is long, they attack in the middle, divide and conquer. Very good military thing. Get into the middle, 
expand on both sides so that the two groups, north and south, can't unite to get you. You don't start in the north and everybody flees south and they're too strong by the time you get there. Hit in the middle, expand. And Joshua blitzes them, you know, knocks off 35 cities and kings. Then you get to judges and suddenly you realize we didn't get everybody. And, uh, and we have good periods and bad periods. There were times we were obedient and there were times we did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes we were winning and sometimes we were subjugated. And uh, it presents a very different, different take on the, on the conquest. And here, Moses is, is telling the people, you know, you might not get everything when you, first, when you first get in there. But if you're good, if you actually listen to what I'm actually telling you today, then, then the Lord will expand. You will have success. And as you take more territory, suddenly you might find that these three cities of refuge are really just too far. So you need to set up a rule to make some more. And, uh, and you get this very interesting um, uh, uh, thought. Um, just for example, in the deviation up of the land of Israel, does it include the port city of Alat? Correct, it doesn't. And so, you know, technically, according to the biblical look bit of the of the um, of the Bible, Elat's not part of Israel. However, I dare you to tell anybody in Elat to move. Okay, it did not going to happen. All right, um, very nice place. Has a really nice dolphin uh, uh, beach. You can all take your kids and swim, um, which is apparently very good for you if you're not well. Uh, but there was the, uh, Solomon conquers that territory. He expands. Even though Solomon is a, is a man of peace, he does actually expand the territory through war. I mean, obviously, his generals are doing all the fighting for him, not him himself. Uh, and he, he constructs a, a, a very nice harbour there and uh, sets off to make lots of money. And he also does the same on the Mediterranean coast as well, very intelligent man. Um, and so you can see that there is, there is room for expansion uh, in, the, in the land of Israel and also contraction. Expansion and contraction based on, on consequences to actions, based on obedience, um, which is an interesting principle, which uh, we shouldn't forget. We should not forget that there are consequences to actions. And uh, for those of you who are, uh, does anybody here actually read the sermon notes that I put out every week? Does anyone know that I uh, produce sermon notes every week? Let's start with that question. <laughs> okay, I don't know, but I, I do read them, but not every week. <laughs> okay, so um, so uh, we we write. Where can we find them? Um, it's it's uh, you sign up uh, from the Christchurch website. Um, I will put a link into the chat box at some stage, and um, and then you you can you can sign up, and it just pops in free into your into your uh, email box. Uh, every every week, um, I look at the the readings according to the lectionary. It's about six passages of scripture, uh, and uh, and then I look at a common theme. And I I, I only make 
four or five sentences of notes to each passage and then try and put it in, in its context. Um, the, this, this next one coming, uh, well, this week's was about the parable of the virgins. The next one is about the parable of the talents. And um, e each of these parables of judgment has the common theme of uh, reap what you sow, that there really is consequences to actions. And, uh, and, and we in the, in the, as, as the people of God need to remember that consequences to action still applies, you know, um, freedom in Christ does not mean I can go out and steal my neighbor's car, right? That, okay. That just can't happen. Um, yeah. Freedom in the Messiah doesn't mean I have the right to do what I want. It means I have the ability to do something right. And, uh, and there's a, and so you, you, the, uh, and that same principle is, is, is here. Um, if the people of Israel um, actually act like the people of God and shine their light, then they will expand their territory. And in so doing, they will have to continue to establish justice wherever they've put their foot. So if we're expanding in the north, we need to make sure that we set up some more cities of refuge so that our, the innocent can, can, can flee. We will eventually bring them to the people. Yes, that's, that's part of the rule. They're not going to get off scot-free. We will have a trial. We will bring in some witnesses. We will say, how did my brother die? And the guy will say, look, you know, I was chopping wood. The, the axe flew off. I loved your brother. He was one of my best friends. You know, I've never hated him. I, I really honestly, and look, you know, ask, ask Shlomo. He was there. He saw what happened. And you can, you can bring in your witnesses and, and try and um, uh, make sure that justice is done. And this creates a society that uh, reflects the character of God. It preserves the land that doesn't like innocent blood being shed on it, which uh, Shimshon and Mike have, uh, have mentioned. Um, it protects life, innocent life, which is made in the image of God and should be given there. It also, it also um, acknowledges the avenger that he also has the, the, the right to go and, and, and seek justice. But if he's wrong, he needs to temper his anger. And, uh, and it pr pr introduces this interesting concept um, of the high priest's death annulling everything, which is a very interesting concept. All right. So And also, um, Aaron, the, the cities of refuge were to come in triplets. I mean, it's not that when you expand, you can put one. You always just mention the three. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, Aaron, Aaron yes. can I just read what it says in my stone humash about this? Yes. It, go right says, it says, although Joshua's conquest of the land would take place only because the people were righteous and deserving, verse 9 implies that an even greater degree of holiness and devotion to God would one day be forthcoming, and that is when the three additional cities could be added. The golden age of the spirit will come with the final redemption, Ramban. Okay, so that's yeah, Moses Maimonides, 12th century. Yeah. So um, let's remember he's, he's sitting in, in uh, Egypt under Islamic rule, but he's right. looking at the text and he's seeing the spiritual side that a, a, a community that is behaving justly and righteously 
will expand, will have influence uh, over the world and will establish cities of refuge, um, uh, which is interesting. Yep. So, so Rambam also has that, uh, that look mm. and that's a very late, very late rabbi. Mm. Okay. So looking at verse, uh, I think up to 11. Okay. So now we've got to figure out what we actually do with the guilty. Not everybody innocent. Okay. Obviously people are going to run to these cities and say, I didn't do it. No, seriously, it wasn't me. Okay. That's usually what happens when you catch any criminal. Yeah. Okay. Um, they usually tell you they didn't do it. But obviously we, we acknowledge this. So if anyone hates his neighbor and Moses always brings this back to the heart. Okay? He's already mentioned it so many times previously. Write these laws on your heart. So before we get into any physical action, we, we acknowledge that there's a hatred of man here. And if he, if he lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies and then he flees into one of these cities, Verse 12, and then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. So they are not going to defend the guilty here. Too many of our lawyers do that. Your eye shall not pity him. Yeah, that's an interesting sentence because often as believers, pity is the first thing that uh, uh, we want to give everyone. Um, but your eye shall not pity him. You shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. Okay. So the, um, uh, the, the, the thing here is, is to not show pity. So I know that seems hard, but the idea is, you help the innocent, you don't help the guilty. Okay? In, our, in our just society that we are setting up, you pay for your crime. There is a consequence. You reap what you sow, which uh, appears in the New Testament. Okay? Most prominently, Galatians 6, Paul says, you reap what you sow. God cannot be mocked. Okay? This, this uh, appears here. All right. So um, before we uh, leave the cities of refuge, which have been physical, let's now take them to the way Rambam did it. Let's go spiritual. Let's go on to the, the allegory and the remes and all the other little bits of uh, Jewish exegesis. So um, when you hear the term refuge, whether it's going to be city of refuge or refuge, is there a verse in the Bible that suddenly leaps to your mind? If someone says, refuge, anything? Yeah, it's a verse in Isaiah. I can't remember. Okay, okay. But, but just, just, if you just say it off the top of your head, if you think you can remember roughly what it might say. Take refuge in God. What? To take refuge in God. Okay, take refuge in God. So someone yells out, Refuge, city of refuge, refuge. I'm going to take refuge in God. Okay, nice thought. Okay, Neville, Hebrew have you got eternal, a... the, the eternal God is my refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Okay, that's a psalm, isn't it? No, that's Deuteronomy. Uh, that's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32, isn't it? Oh, okay. Okay. 
All right. Hebrews, Hebrews 6, 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Okay. Yes, so you can flee to God for refuge, right, as uh, the sort of concept. Okay, And then there is a psalm, actually Psalm 46, um, God is our refuge, okay, literally, okay, run, run to the Lord. Okay, so if God is our refuge uh, and you can flee to the Lord, then think about the physical application of these cities of refuge and and try and, if you can, put them into something spiritual. So I'll give it a go. Uh, just to start, God is our refuge, both for Jews and Gentiles, just like a city of refuge is. Okay, there's uh, uh, the Israelite and the non-Israelite may flee. Who can flee into the arms of God? Everyone. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. How about this? The God is meant to be within easy reach of the people. Okay. The cities of refuge had to have good roads built between them. They had to be in the centre of the community. They had to have easy access. You couldn't hide these cities from people. You could. So God has to be open, has to be accessible. He has to have, you have to have easy access to be able to come to the Lord. Do not put an obstacle in the way of someone and make it difficult to, for them to get to God. There's a good spiritual principle for you. That's exactly what we Jews did. Is Rob about this? Uh, actually, Roddy, he does. Yes, but anyway, it's another story. But yes, we 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 often throw in too many um, rules to make it hard for people to get. We are not meant to make it hard for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, let's uh, let's let's uh, share it widely, open for all, and make it as easy as they can. To come come to the Lord. So cities of refuge, they're easy reach, open to all, Israelite, non-Israelite. Okay, what else? What else can you do once you get into the city? You can live in it. Okay, you know, you are when you're safe in the arms, you live in the city. You don't just uh, you live in the refuge of God. You don't just come to God and sit on a tree and wait for the rapture. You live, you produce, you, you function, you, you do whatever. Um, and it's a pretty good alternative to destruction. What's waiting for you outside? <laughs> Death. Yeah. Yes, the avenger <laughs> of blood. You go out, you're going to get done. You leave the arms of Jesus, good luck to you, sir. You will not like it, okay? The enemy, your roaring lion, uh, is, is there. He will pounce on you. So you have protection only when you're in the boundaries of this city. You have protection when, when you are in the arms of God. You do not have protection if you have willingly fled. If you have willingly left, you are in trouble. Aaron, can I just mention... live by the rules of the city of refuge. Yeah. Sir, say that again, Shimshon. You have to live by the rules. Yes, you the do. Rules of... Yeah, you have to yes. live by the rules. Yeah. Exactly. So you can't come in and say, okay, well, uh, I'll just do whatever I want around here. No, 
Mm. We've got rules in this city. This is how you behave. This is what you'll do. Uh, on Shabbat, you'll be coming to join us for prayers. That's what, just what's going to happen. Um, you're going to pay your taxes, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. Aaron, there's just one, there's one verse in, um, in Joel. This is the one I was thinking of. I couldn't tr track it down. But it, it mentions refuge in the... Um, in the last days context, in the eschatological uh -huh. context. Okay. So, you know, this phrase, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For yes. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withhold their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold to the people of Israel. Yes, what verse is that one? Isaiah? That's Joel, chapter oh, Joel. 3, verses 15 and 16. Yeah, okay, there you go. Yep. Again, eschatological, but again, all of those thoughts all put in together that um, Moses sets up a physical city of refuge. And so in Jewish exegesis, you have Peshat, the actual literal meaning. We do it. And then you have a lot of the spiritual applications that follow at the same time. And that re reflects on the character of God and therefore uh, the Messiah. And so anyone can flee to these cities. Anyone can look for the shelter that's uh, w within them. Um, Aaron, Aaron, that last um, reference from the psalm, I think there are other references similar, aren't there, where God's refuge is a rock or a fortress or a high yes. place. And it that contrasts with what you said. It's accessible, yeah, but once you're there, God protects you, as you said. And yep. it's like a rock. Yep. Um, so Absolutely. It's a bit, it, there's a tension there, isn't there, between yep. it being accessible yeah. and inaccessible. Yeah. Accessible, that's right. inaccessible to your enemies is accessible to you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with the caveat that you stay there. Yeah. Um, until your high priest dies, <laughs> and then you can go out again if you want. Okay. So there's um so there's lots of good thoughts uh, that 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 come with this with this passage that they're setting up. Okay, now we get the principle of uh, private property, and um, this is this. Uh, 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 for those of you who you know, live in socialist countries, you know all about this. Um, people coming along and taking all your stuff all the time. Okay, um, Mo Moses says you shall not move the neighbor's landmark, okay, which the men of old have set in place. Okay? So there is a, a, uh, a history and uh, an eldership. There's a, there's a respect for, uh, and including a spiritual principle of what the elders have set in place. Okay? Um, remember, in, in, in Jewish tradition, you always remember the Avod. You always remember the patriarchs. One of our problems is in, in our Western world, we tend to get so individualistic, we certainly forget who our avod. Most of us don't even know the names of our great-great-great-grandfathers. Uh, okay? We just wouldn't. Okay? We might know the name of our grandfather, but certainly not his dad. Um, we, we just forget. So it's just not part of our culture. And um, uh, but This, this, this I, I witnessed as a kid, because I grew up in Lincolnshire. There's a three-field three system in some parts of Lincolnshire where they still have strip farming. And there are always canny farmers who are moving the boundaries. And, oh, really? Uh, constant battle. Uh, they wouldn't uh, admit to it, obviously, but local people sort of shop them or grass them up now and again mm. to ensure it's done fairly. Yeah, because in England you still have those uh, 
yeah, stone walls and fences and all kinds of really cool stuff. But probably their farming was similar to the parallels there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we're not meant to. We're not meant to move these things. Where you know you're not meant to subjugate somebody else's property. Um, you can't just take stuff and ration it out to other people. Um, there is a there is a there is a principle that you can actually own private property. Okay. Um, and so we're not meant to ignore uh, the boundary markers. And spiritually, then we're not meant to ignore uh, the landmarks that our heroes have um, done in the past. Too often. And here, you know, it's always good to be critical, especially when you have your own house, okay? Too often in, uh, you know, the, the more most recent of Christian movements, we always want to do a new thing. And we forget that uh, sometimes the new thing keeps replacing the old thing uh, when perhaps we shouldn't do that because we've just thrown our foundations away. Um, uh, so don't uh, uh, move your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old, the, 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 the elders, have set in the inheritance that you will hold in the land. Again, remember that uh, the Lord is giving you. The Lord gives you a gift and the land becomes an inheritance. Israel remains an inheritance for, for God. The people are his inheritance. The land is the inheritance uh, for the people. Uh, also, remember, the land is still his, but it is an inheritance. And as an inheritance, it should be treated with respect and most certainly not uh, stolen from other people uh, inappropriately. All right. Um, okay. So I, no I noticed the time, but if we, if we push on for another 10 minutes, um, we probably could finish the chapter, which would be like a... A real first for us <laughs> that we actually finish a chapter in one sitting. Uh, uh, what's, uh, Elizabeth says, do we have the names of these cities as they are today? Yeah, Nablus and Hebron are two. And I don't know what the name of Kadesh is in, uh, in the north of Naphtali, um, although I could probably find out and, and mention it uh, later. Uh, Naphtali is up there in the gallery. Okay. In fact, there's a really cool village called... Uh, Kibbutz called Ramot Naftali, um, which if anyone wants to go there and stay, is absolutely beautiful. It's got an army base nearby which defends us all from Lebanon. And uh, that's where Benjamin Pelegi, who's the son of the other priests at Christchurch, where he served and, and uh, did his military, military service. How's that there for a little bit of useless information? But anyway, okay, witnesses. Um, because we, the, 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 Innocent and also the guilty are all fleeing to these cities and you can't just let them all just live there for, uh, in perpetuity. You actually have to judge their case. The law is the law. You actually physically have to um, sort out these matters. And so you will do so by bringing, as Numbers has said, you will bring them before the assembly. So you have to have your witnesses. And we've known before that you don't do anything with, the, with just one witness. You don't go to gossip. And you never make a judgment based on hearsay. You have to have an, uh, an eyewitness. And here you have to have two or three. A single witness, in verse 15, is not sufficient against a person for any crime. Whoa, okay, that's a nice little caveat. Okay? If you don't have, if you've only got one witness, it's not enough. And we are not concerned about the size of the crime here. 
okay, for any wrong in connection with any offence that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or three. Okay, so you have to have to make sure that people actually can say, and they physically saw this, shall a charge be established? Okay? It's, it's, it's hard. We are all victims of gossip. We listen to one thing and suddenly that becomes the truth. We've actually got to learn to stop that. It's so hard, guys. Okay, we are all, we are all victims of this. But let's, let's try. Okay, let's, let's, actually, let's actually try. Um, it would be better. Uh, for us in our community. Um, uh, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person, and here we have this probably actually happened, because um, uh, sometimes these witnesses are not going to tell the truth because, you know, they're fallen humans and they've got a, a, a desire to actually uh, squeeze um, some land out of people and move these boundary markers perhaps. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, uh, then both parties in the dispute shall appear before the Lord. So you've got someone saying, I saw this and I saw that, and another guy saying, no, no, this is not true. These are, these are completely false. Um, and when you can't physically make a dis distinction, you, you go before the judiciary, right? And the judges the, the, are the priests. We've already set that up in 17 and 18. Okay? They are anointed by God as the judiciary. They are not kings. Kings are not doing this, and they're not the prophets. Okay? So the, uh, the third group. So you come before the priests and the judges who were in office in those days, and the judges shall inquire diligently. So they have to make an investigation. They have to get their super sleuths out and their uh, Sherlock Holmeses. And, uh, and if they discover that the witness is false, wow, now we bring in eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Okay, It is in this context that we... Start to do that. Okay, then you shall uh, do to him the thing that he had meant to do to the brother. That's the context of eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Okay, uh, the avenger of blood, that's something different. The avenger of blood is someone killed my brother, I'm off. I'm going to go get the guy. Okay, that's something completely different. That's not eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's Goel, kinsman, redeemer. This one is in relation to false witness. Once we find the false witness, he will suffer the punishment that he was trying to put on an innocent guy. That's the, the context. Okay? It's you were trying to take his house. We're going to take yours. You were, you, were, uh, um, you were trying to steal him from losing half of his field. We're taking half of your field. And, uh, and this kind of stuff. Uh, and, then, and then you shall do to him as he meant to do his brother, and this shall purge the evil from your midst. Um, why? Because the, everyone else is going to hear and fear. Everyone, if, if you're actually physically doing this, then um, the concept is this will impede uh, people's desire to do this. It, in, in, in all honesty, as we all know, humans being humans, they'll still do it anyway, hence we have these laws. But They'll do it more if you don't have these laws. And, uh, and yeah, we all know the result of a lawless society. I'm, I'm yeah. sure we could all tell stories of what lawless societies look like. Okay? And, uh, either from our history books or from some of us actually physically living in them. Right? Uh, and our American friends, unfortunately, now know what lawless cities look like. Okay? 
Uh, <laughs> you unfortunately have all of your riots going on in, in some of your, your cities, which is, a, it is terrible. Okay. But the point was you have this, these rules which will hear and fear. And uh, never again will they commit any evil among you. Well, that would be nice if that were going to be true. Um, uh, but that was the intention, right? Remember, let's always remember the intention of the law. Uh, the intention of the law is your, is your ideal. You want to write the law on your heart. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. But that is the intention. And the intention here is that these evils will never be done. That doesn't mean they never will be, but it is the, it is the intention. And your eye shall show no pity. Man, that is hard for us to do. Um, that, no, seriously, that, that's not an easy one. Um, some people are remorseless, but most of us actually not. And, uh, and uh, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. But let's remember the context. Context is in false witness. And, and again, let's also remember that in Jewish exegesis, they understood that even this still couldn't be done as simply as everybody thought they could. Um, because what happens if the guy's only got one foot? He's already lost one foot in some accident somewhere. He's tried to do something which takes the foot of his brother. Do we take his other foot off and he just spends the rest of his life crawling on one leg, on, on no legs? The other guy can still jump up and down on one leg. Uh, they, 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 so in, in, in a lot of, um, in the Jewish text that we have on the commentary in this verse, they, they, uh, have a guess what they do. Let's see if anyone can, can guess. Does anyone know what they do for it? What they bring it down to? Which verse is that again, Aaron? Okay. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Ein tachet ein. Okay. Um, does anyone know uh, what they eventually end up deciding? It's so a monetary do? compensation, right? Correct. Yep. They break it down to monetary compensation, which is actually what you have in today's society. And, um, and it, it's interesting that, you know, you can take, you actually take a claim and they work out a monetary value to the loss of a limb or something that happened to you. Um, and, uh, and, and Jewish people had already done this several thousand years ago where they said, look, we can't really do eye for an eye. And so they, it becomes a monetary, monetary thing, which is hey, a practice we still do in the world today. Okay. Aaron, I do have a question. So, uh, you know, we were looking at uh, in Deuteronomy, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth in terms of false witnesses. Correct. And then why on the Sermon of the Mount, it seems as though it's more to limit retaliation and then turn the other cheek. I mean, there's a different, it is, there is a twist on that. Yep. It doesn't kind so, of follow the same principle in a sense. Well, remember, when you, when you take a verse, you often can use a verse as a proof text that's not in its context. So when you go through the book of Acts, um, a lot of the proof texts for the Messiah of Jesus are all from the Psalms. You know, and you go, wow, you know, how'd they pull that one out of there? They, they, and because uh, there are multiple levels of, of reading the text. So, in its context, it is about false witness. And in its context, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth seems pretty straightforward. 
when they get into exegesis to is this actually what we physically actually really do in real life, they then break it down to monetary value. When Yeshua comes along, he takes it and he's being supplied to a spiritual value. Well, I know you've said it this, but now I say like this, or now I want to do this way, or look at the, the, the intention of the actual text itself. Um, Aaron, can I just add a thought? The, the, the phrase, eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, comes in three places in the Torah, in Exodus 21 and in Leviticus 24, as well as the <laughs> one we've been looking at. And in those places, the, the earlier places, you get more the sense of proportionality of punishment. And actually, I think the most important factor from my understanding is that it avoids escalation of revenge. Okay, yeah. There's, there's no end to that. Yeah, it limits retaliation, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, well, we would hope that it would avoid escalation, yes. But yes, it, it's supposed to. But then you can, well, I've heard stories in various tribal societies where basically when things escalate, you know, it gets, it gets crazy out of hand. Yep, and you still know. does. We, yeah. we, we, we live in, a, in the middle. You've probably got it in Nigeria too, do you? Where um, people, it's generational. It just does not stop. In fact, people Absolutely. have even forgotten why our tribe hates the other tribe. You know, we, just, we did at one stage, remember, but now we're just plain forgotten. So, but we'll kill them anyway because it's probably a really good reason why. Uh, we just, yeah. just the, the Montagues and the Capulets. <laughs> the Montagues and the Capulets, and uh, and never the twain. If I add, if, if I may add to the the concept which Yvonne just raised, um, what Yeshua was saying in this place in Matthew five has to do with giving people the second opportunity. Okay. Um, because it says, yeah, when you've heard it says, eye for an eye and this. It says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you, turn the other cheek. In other words, you give people another opportunity. You know, you don't just write people off. And if you read it down, we say, if anyone wants your, to sue you, you can give them the shirt and, you know, give them the coat as well. You know, you just cut them a slack. It's the, the context which he was using it, giving somebody another opportunity. Sure, great. Excellent. Thank you. Is there any evidence that the um, societies outside of the Israelite one here were practicing you know, revenge lawlessness and the escalation of revenge and so on? Do they mention that? That if a single act against an individual is enacted, then you know, a whole people group would be wiped out? Are, are there any examples of that in Scripture? Off the top of my head. Well, I, I can think of one shameful example in the end of the book of Judges where uh, the concubine of a Levite was gang raped and he cut her up and sent her around the country. And basically it, it ended in almost the destruction of the whole tribe of Benjamin. Yes. And it, this example here is one thing to demonstrate that how things can get out of hand when the laws of God are not followed. Yeah. It's one of the most shameful stories in the book. Yeah. And um, uh, one of my friends uh, lives in the, the hill territory of Benjamin today. And uh, when we went and visited his place, you go to Benjamin and it's just empty barren hills. And uh, you ask him, what's the archaeology around here? And he says, there isn't any. No one's lived on these hills ever. 
So, you know, uh, because, because of that event, because they nearly wiped out Benjamin, Benjamin became an incredibly small tribe and it just could not fill its territory. So it only had a few cities. So most of the, the territory of Benjamin has never had anyone live on it, ever, um, which is sad, isn't it? Yeah. That, um, you know, for thousands of years, here's your gift, here's your territory allotment, and you just don't have anybody to put on it because yeah. you were too busy wiping each other out. Yep. So just for the record, this is Judges 19, 20, and 21. It's the way it's, it, it gives the end to the book of Judges in a very kind of downbeat way. Yeah. Yes, because every man was doing what was right in his own eye. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay, guys. And all made up, I think all made up for that uh, destruction of the tribe of Benjamin yes, by evangelizing half of the Western world. That was his purpose, man. Show all of Benjamin. That was one of his. That's where, you know, like for like, God is, is, is fixing the problem. Okay. Right, any other no, comments also, before we break? And, all, and, and also, when we, when we look at the word eye for eye, tooth for tooth, sometimes it's not executed by man. It's actually most of the time executed by God. Yeah, um, vengeance is mine. I think someone wrote that in yeah. the... Yeah. Bernardo, yep. Yeah. Sometimes um, yeah. somebody might do this and it might not even happen to that person, but might happen to you. So some of his descendants or some member of his family is on the way down, you know. So it's, it's also a judgment that can still come to pass and, yep. um, with totally. the family. And, and Paul knows that because remember, his, his phrase in Galatians is loaded. God will not be mocked. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, there you, you just—that's a—that's an incredibly loaded sentence right there, with with lots of meaning. Um, and 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 yeah. Yeah, just as the other nations did to Israel, God will do to them. I mean, you have it time and time again. This yeah. concept. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Isn't our God incredible? But also, what a great city of refuge. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for, for let's, let's take some of these principles that we've learned, put them into our community. Uh, remember that when we're trying to uh, reveal God to people, uh, free, open, easy access, but pure defender. He will defend us uh, uh, always. What a great shield he is. Yeah. Uh, and we should uh, maintain ourselves never to give a false witness, but always to yeah. uh, defend, defend to the weak. Okay, guys. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.